Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? Good, good. I'd like to start, if you wouldn't mind, by leading us through a little bit of an imaginative exercise. Are you all okay with a little imagination? Half of you. That's good enough for me. Let's do it. So imagine for a minute that you are a peasant living under an oppressive royal regime. The monarchs are corrupt, and the laws are unjust and unfair to you and your family. The king is crippling your people through taxation. Your property is seized without justification. You can hardly imagine a worse situation. But you've got aspiration. Very quickly, you and your fellow peasants reach a point where you just can't take it anymore. The time has come for revolution. So, you call a meeting, you gather forces, you go to war against the establishment, you stick it to the man. And best of all, you win. Now, it's time for you to establish your kingdom. And from your new seat of power, you decide that things are going to be different from now on. You decide that no longer will we have a financial system that makes the rich more rich and the poor more poor, but we will build a system that is fair for all people. You decide that no longer will the darkness of corruption run our government, but we will build a system of uprightness and integrity, where instead of only working for their own benefit, the leaders truly work and serve for the benefit of the people This is the birth of a new kingdom, an entirely new way of living, and you believe that it will be a light to the whole world for how to build and live in a just, good society. And it goes well for a while. But then one day, you're attacked by a neighboring kingdom. A large portion of your city is destroyed during the battle, and in order to rebuild, you decide to raise taxes. Amidst all the frustration, you do your best to remain fair and just to everyone, but eventually the voices of the powerful business owners and the military leaders and the heads of the church, these voices, they get louder and louder, and eventually you bow to their pressure. You begin to make promises to the powerful that cause you to break your promises with the people. Lies begin to pollute. Fear begins to rule. And the preservation of your own power becomes more prevalent than the promotion of peace, justice, and love. And even though you started with the best of intentions, even though you tried so hard to do things in a different way, in the right way, before long, you actually become the kingdom that you originally rebelled against. You are actually consumed by the very darkness that you sought to drive out, and it won't be long before another people comes along, rebels against you, and your kingdom will fall. Welcome to church. (laughs) Now, as I was telling you that story, What came to mind for you? Like, what time in history were you thinking of? What places, what faces? I mean, who came to mind for you? What people? What rulers? What names? Was it Rome or Russia? The Ottoman Empire or the Akkadian Empire? 
Was it ancient Mongolia? Was it China? Was it Persia? Or was it Sparta? Was it Egypt or Israel? Enron or Pan Am? Was it Britain in the 1620s? Germany in the 1920s? Or us in the 2020s? You see, the reality is, there's plenty that you could choose from. Really, this story that I just told you could have been any of those stories and many, many more. Why? Well, because in many ways, this is the human story. But in order for us to truly enter in to this human story together this morning, we actually have to start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. What's the next word? Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So in the beginning, on page one of the Bible, God creates a good, very good world. The opening pages of Scripture describe for us the birth of creation. And on creation's very first day, out of darkness, God creates light. And then on down the list, skies, seas, trees, sun, moon, stars, animals, Chick-fil-A, the Chicago Bears. God created it all, and it was all good. Or at least the bears are good like half the time, you know. But God created it all, and God's finishing touch, his finishing touch was the creation of mankind, of us, in his own image. The end of Genesis chapter 1 says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Then what's the next word? Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. With this language, this language of rule, what God is doing is God is establishing his kingdom In other words, God is establishing his rule and reign in and among creation that he decides to enact through human beings. Birth, light, kingdom. These are the defining characteristics of the good, very good world that God created. This was meant to be a place for life a place for light, and a place where God is in charge and in control. This was the human story. Was. But on page three, there is a decisive turn in the story that will change everything forever. Genesis 3 opens with this story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman, what's the next word? Saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, I want us to notice the difference between Genesis 3 
in Genesis 1. Think back to the creation story. The repeating line at the end of each day, after God creates all that he does in a day, it says, and God saw that it was good. But what's the line in Genesis 3, verse 6? Who sees? Here. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good. You see, in the beginning... The kingdom of God, as we said, meant God was in charge. God was in control. When God is in control, it means that God is the only one who gets to see and decide what is good for us. But by Genesis 3, we see that man and woman, they want to see and decide what is good for themselves. And by doing so, they wrestle control of the kingdom away from God and to themselves. Let's keep going. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her the whole time and did nothing. Wait, that, it doesn't say that. I'm sorry. It's true though. And he ate it as well. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this next part is so sad. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now again, let's remember, the creation narrative, it paints this picture, it tells us this story of humanity living in this perfect relationship, this perfect harmony, this shalom or peace with God. In Genesis 1, man and woman are walking and living and basking in the light of God's glorious presence. But by Genesis 3, what happens? Man and woman, they are hiding from God in darkness away from his presence. And I'm guessing some of you are pretty familiar with this story, so you know where we go from here. God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden, and they have two sons, Cain and... Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Once again, in the creation narrative, God gives birth to a good, very good world. And this world, it is flourishing, it is teeming, it is filled with life. But as a result of human rebellion, just a few pages later, that same creation is now living under the threat of death. Are you with me? Let's review. In a matter of a few pages... Human rebellion has turned our story in a completely different direction. Human rebellion has moved our story from kingdom to chaos, from light to dark, and from birth to death. And now, this is the human story. These are the themes of the story that we opened our time with together. And in many ways, this is the unfortunate human tendency that continues to play itself out all through human history. If you keep reading in the Bible, you'll see another example of it in the nation of Israel. Anyone remember them? If you keep reading in Genesis, you'll find a guy named Abraham. And God gave Abraham a promise that through Abraham, God would give birth 
to a holy nation. And that nation would shine the light of God's goodness and his love to the entire world. And through leaders like Saul and David and Solomon, God established Israel as a great kingdom. But if you keep reading through the Old Testament, it tells the story of the constant rebellion of the people of God and their leaders against God. And very quickly, their kingdom of Israel collapses into chaos. And the people are scattered into the darkness of exile in foreign lands like Babylon. And just like that, the nation of Israel is dead. You see it? Let's take perhaps a more modern example. Think about our own country, if you will, for a minute. The birth of the United States was founded on this idea that we would be a new kind of nation. The language used was that the United States would be a city on a hill, a beacon, literally a light of hope to the world. And very quickly, the United States became a dominant global superpower. We live in one of the strongest kingdoms the world has ever seen. However, you only need to turn on the news or go on Twitter for about five seconds before you begin to see how our once all-powerful U.S. kingdom, in many ways, is living in chaos. From a border crisis, to healthcare debates, to gun rights and gun violence, to an explosive and divisive political landscape, or whatever you spent Thanksgiving fighting about with your relatives, I don't know. And please, hear me. I believe that there is so much we have to be grateful for about how wonderful and amazing our country is. But regardless of what you think or believe about some of these issues politically, there is no denying that our once powerful kingdom in many ways is in chaos right now. There's no denying that our light of hope to the world has some dark, dark blemishes. And if we do not deal with them, then it is very clear that the way that we are currently living in many ways is leading us on a path towards death and destruction. But you don't have to talk about nations and governments in order to tell this story. You could talk about the world of sports, right? In 1984, my beloved Chicago Bulls drafted Michael Jordan from the University of North Carolina. This was the birth of a new era for our team, right? There were bright days of light ahead. And for nearly an entire decade, the Bulls had a dynasty, one of the greatest kingdoms the professional sports world has ever seen. But then what happened? Well, Michael retired the second time. And the kingdom was thrown into chaos. The light of the 90s was over, and if you have watched the Bulls recently, which I don't know why you would, we are living in dark, dark days, my friends. And even when you thought we had the birth of a new super team, we saw the death of Derrick Rose's knees, and the chaos started all over again. The point is, this is the human story. More often than not, if we're totally honest, this is the seemingly natural progression of human history. And I'm willing to bet that even if you look at your own life, you could probably think of a time where the kingdom of your finances, for example, you had a good job, you had a nest egg, everything was good, 
And then all of a sudden, the kingdom of your finances was just thrown into chaos. You didn't see it coming. Loss of a job. A business goes under. And all of a sudden, that kingdom is just chaotic. You're grasping at straws. I'm willing to bet if you look at your own life, you could think of a relationship, whether maybe it's your marriage or a relationship with a child or a friend that was once so beautiful. It was once a source of light in your life. But lately, because of lies or a betrayal or just a lack of intentionality and time together, that once bright relationship in your life now feels distant and dark. And I'm sure there's others of you, you can remember, maybe even recently, your faith was new. It was exciting. You experienced a a new birth, new life, an awakening to the truths of God. And it was so good. You were so passionate. You came in and you were learning. You were growing. You felt closer to Jesus than you ever had in your life. But then recently in this season, things have just gotten a little stale. There's not really any passion anymore. There's, there's really no life in your relationship with God. Maybe you're here this morning, and if you're totally honest, even though you're in church, you're kind of just feeling spiritually dead in this season. See, this isn't just the human story for governments and sports franchises. This is, in many ways, our own story that each and every one of us live kingdom to chaos, light to dark, birth to death, from Genesis 3 down to you and me. This is the human story, but there is a different story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That passage from Luke 2, if you spend any time in church around this time of year, it's one we hear a lot. We read it time and time again. And what I find so fascinating about that passage and other other birth accounts of Jesus is that in addition to Luke, the rest of the gospel writers do something so interesting with their accounts. If you read it closely, you'll notice they all use creation language. 
Just like in Genesis 1, Luke and Matthew and John, they all open their gospels with those same three themes. Themes of birth, light, and kingdom. And I think in doing that, what these biblical writers are trying to communicate to us is they're saying that this birth of Jesus, in a way, this is recreation. What the birth of Jesus brings is it brings a new creation. What they're saying is Jesus with his birth is turning the clock back. Jesus is turning everything around. What the arrival of Jesus does is Jesus is restoring and creating God's original intention and design for the world. Let's look at that story again and see if you notice it. 2,000 years ago, God's people were still living in chaos. Only now, instead of exile in Babylon, they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And after centuries of silence from God, these people hadn't heard from their God in many, many years. After centuries of silence, the Hebrew people's dream of a coming Messiah, a savior who would come and save them from that oppression, that dream, it was all but dead. But then, as we just read, one night, out of the darkness, a light burst forth. A star rose in the east, announcing the birth of a savior, and the dead dreams of the Jewish people, all of a sudden, all at once, were given new life and new birth. And the angels came, proclaiming that this savior, this Messiah, he would save the people from their sin, meaning he would bring them out of their chaos and establish God's kingdom forever. You see, in Jesus, the trend of human history is utterly and completely flipped backwards and upside down. Jesus takes that human story and he completely rewrites it, both for all of humanity and for each and every individual who would trust in his name. You see, while humanity moves kingdoms into chaos, Jesus enters into our chaos and establishes God's kingdom, God's rule, God's order in our lives. While humanity moves from light to darkness, Jesus reaches into our darkness and shines the light of his love. While humanity naturally moves from birth to death, Jesus even enters into our death and he offers us a new birth and a new life. Jesus is the way back to life, light, and the kingdom of God. That's what the birth of Jesus does. And in this season of Advent, we are invited to courageously remember that while history in so many ways has moved in this negative direction, and while our lives sometimes to this day feel that they are hopelessly moving in a negative direction from birth to death, from light to dark, from kingdom to chaos, Advent is a reminder that we await a more hopeful future where God is coming in the person of Jesus to turn it all upside down, to restore it all, to redeem it all, and to renew it all. What the Advent season does is it proclaims that we have a promise from God of a future where there is no more chaos and God's kingdom reigns forever. 
We actually have the promise of a future where there is an end to darkness and there is eternal light shining in the hearts of each and every person. We actually have a promise of a future where there is no more death, but there is a new birth of a new creation. And right now, as we close, what what I want us to do is I want to lead us in a time where we are invited to enter into this anticipation of God's coming light, life, and kingdom right here, right now, in our day in 2019. Because let's remember, this proclamation, this flipping of everything upside down, this was not just good news for shepherds in a field 2,000 years ago, but this continues to be good news for us sitting here today. And one of the most famous songs that we sing in this Advent season is the song, O Come, Emmanuel. I love this song, and that word Emmanuel literally means God with us. And what this song does is it invites us to enter into the experience of the Jewish people in the first century, who, as we just talked about, were living in dark times. It was chaotic. Their dreams and their people were dying off one by one. But in the midst of that, these people eagerly awaited God to come and be with them in their midst. And so right now, I want to ask you to stand if you're able. And I want to ask you to place your hands out in front of you with your palms up like this and take, take a posture. And why we do this is this posture, it, it, it communicates that, God, we are open to your arrival through Jesus in our lives this season. And I want to encourage you, if, if you would, to keep this posture throughout this entire time of prayer. And what we're going to do is I want to lead us through a time of call and response prayer. And I want us to focus on praying for the chaos and the darkness and even the death that we are facing in our own lives heading into this season. And so what I'll do is I'll sort of prompt you with a thought or a specific area for you to think or pray about. And then John and the team will lead us through singing that repeated line, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And in doing this, what we're doing is we are inviting Jesus into the chaos and into the darkness and into the death we are experiencing. Rather than being a people who pretend it's not there and are just happy-go-lucky because it's Christmas time and we're Christians and we're supposed to be. What the Advent season is, it is actually an invitation for us to enter into that confusion, to sit in that frustration, to sit in the questioning with honesty, that sometimes it's really hard, but also with hope that God is on the way in the person of Jesus. And so now, would you, would you just sing that repeated line with expectancy? O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Now, staying in that posture, uh, I want us to turn our minds for those of us who are experiencing chaos right now. Maybe it's a chaotic work schedule, um, year-end deadlines. For those of you who are students, maybe it's the loom of of finals and exams and papers, and it's just crazy. Uh, Maybe it's just this season 
I know this can be the most hectic and crazy time of the year, whether it's you have family parties or you just have so much shopping to do and there's decorations to put up and we can just get so caught up in the chaos of it. Maybe again, for you, it's, it's past. The chaos that you are not looking forward to is maybe the craziness of an election year next year. And you remember the last time and how ugly things got and you just aren't looking forward to that. I don't know what that chaos is. For me, it's usually just chaos in my own mind. You know, I have a million and seven thoughts a day about how I'm not working hard enough and I'm not spending enough time with my family and how am I supposed to do those things at the same time. And my chaotic thoughts lead to a chaotic life. And so whatever chaos you are facing or you are fearful of right now, God, we invite you into our chaos to bring your kingdom. Now we turn our attention to those who feel as though we are caught in darkness. This season is supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to be a season of light. But the reality is for many of us, it actually only serves to highlight the darkness we're facing. Those who struggle with depression or anxiety or some sort of addiction or substance abuse. Um, I know for my family right now, we have been touched by a season of unexpected unemployment. And that can be really dark. Maybe for you, you're a college student. You've been away from your family for the first time and you're in a dark season of loneliness. Right now, for me, I'm in a season of just trying to figure out what's next, what God has next for me. Um, and if you've ever been in a season of waiting for direction from God, you know sometimes that path can feel really dark. And so now, whatever darkness you are encountering, God, we invite you into our darkness to shine your light. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And then finally, for those in this room who are experiencing the sting of death entering into this season. I don't want to rush past this. I know that there are those of you in this room for whom this will be the first Christmas without that person. And that reality became really real perhaps this past week when they weren't at dinner. Um, and that's just really hard. Maybe it's not even someone in your own life, but maybe you know someone. Maybe there's a friend. I know for me, my pastors uh, at the church that I attend, they experienced an unexpected death in their family, and so I want to lift up them during this season. Uh, but then there are others where it's not a physical death. Maybe for you, it, it was the death of a relationship this year, or the death of a dream, or just the death of how you thought your life was going to go, what you thought you were going to major in, what you thought your career was going to look like that has sort of died this year and, and you have to experience and live and deal with that death. And so whatever death we are facing in this room right now, God, we invite you into that death believing that you will bring new life. 
Thank you, friends, for listening to this episode of the John Cast. If you enjoyed this message, I would very much appreciate, if you haven't yet, if you would leave a review, if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast, that really helps more people find this podcast and hopefully be encouraged by it, as I hope you just were. Also, don't forget, follow me on Instagram, at John Jorgensen. You can keep up with everything that is going on with my work, with my ministry, and even sometimes with my own spiritual walk and life there. That is all I have for you today. Thank you all, as always, so much for listening. I am so humbled that you would give your time to this show. I love you all. Keep being awesome. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the John Cast. We are back after a week off. I am your host, John Jorgensen, at John Jorgensen on the Instagram. Welcome, friends. We have returned to the frozen tundra of Chicago. I wish I would have done an episode last week because then I could have given you the weather update that you all are so eagerly awaiting every week. I could have given you a positive weather update. The weather was beautiful. We were down south, um, Sweet Bear and I and Sweet Bear's family, for Thanksgiving. We had some lovely like 60, 65. It even reached like 71 day degree weather. Unfortunately, we returned yesterday uh, to the normal 30, 28 degrees here in the greater Chicagoland area. However, there is a silver lining. There's always a silver lining if you search for it. And the silver lining today is because we are back, the Johncast is back. So the return to the cold weather means the return to the warmth of my dulcet tones in your ears. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm on another level this morning, friends. I hope uh, for those of you who are in the uh, United States, I hope you had a great, a fantastic, a restful Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you were able to celebrate with your family, with those that you love. I know I was able to, and it was fantastic. Also, another thing that I was able to do this past weekend, I was invited to guest teach at a church in the western suburbs of Chicago, Christ Church of Oak Brook. This is a church that I've been partnering with for several years now, both with their middle school and high school ministries, as well as with their contemporary service. They do a contemporary and a classical service. Um, And they've been bringing me in a couple times a year, usually around the big holidays of Easter and Christmas in the Lent season, and then this past weekend for the kickoff of the Advent season. Um, And what you're about to listen to in this episode of the Johncast is the message that I gave this past weekend, but a little context before we dive in to this message. This message was given as a part of a Lessons and Carols service. Now, I imagine that there are many of you who have not heard of the Lessons and Carols tradition. That is totally fine. I hadn't heard about it either until several years ago. Essentially, the Lessons and Carols tradition, it is an Advent tradition, the season leading up to Christmas every year. Uh, And it started years and years and years ago at a church in England. And essentially, the structure was nine scriptures or nine lessons and then nine carols. And so you would read a scripture and then sing a carol, read a scripture, sing a carol, read a scripture, sing a carol, back and forth and back and forth nine times. And what these scriptures do, these specific nine lessons and carols scriptures do, is they begin at the beginning of scripture and then they 
weave the narrative of creation, fall, and the continued fall of humanity and the people of Israel, and then it they all culminate in the birth of Jesus. And so really these nine scriptures, as I was looking at them, preparing for this message, they really weave this one powerful biblical and also human narrative. Uh, And that is really the focus of this message. So lessons and carols, as I was saying before I get there, lessons and carols traditionally goes a scripture reading, sing a carol, a scripture reading, sing a carol. And that basic structure has been molded and shaped and twisted uh, and updated over the years by many different churches, many different traditions. And this was sort of my attempt at bringing a more modern version of this traditional lessons and carol service to the congregation at Christ Church of Oakbrook, and then of course into your ears as well. Unfortunately, you will not really be hearing any carols. We only really sing one within the message. The other carols were both before and after the message. So really, you're only getting the lesson portion of the lessons and carols. But if lessons and carols is something that sounds intriguing to you, I highly, highly recommend you look it up. It is a fantastic way to kick off and enter ourselves in to this season of Advent. And I hope that this message will be as well. Uh, And so, as you listen, I hope this message, as we said, will prepare your heart for the anticipation, the waiting of the coming of the birth of Jesus. That's what Advent is all about, but we talk about that more in the message. So, I hope you enjoy this message, Life, Light, and the Kingdom. But first, a quick break. (laughs) 